This week on It Starts With Attraction. A couple of weeks ago, I went to a luncheon and was honored to hear today's podcast guest, Chandra Jarrett. She gave an amazingly powerful presentation at the lunch that day. And actually, it's one of the ones that I still continue to think about to this day. And when I heard her give this talk, I thought this is exactly what the listeners of It Starts With Attraction would truly benefit from because I have recently benefited from it as well. Today, we are talking about mental models about ourselves and how to change the things that we're thinking about, how to think about ourselves and our situations differently, and not just in an etherical way, but in an incredibly practical way. In fact, in the key takeaways, you're going to hear how I actually implemented one of the things that Chandra recommended that I do and the results that I got from it and how it has helped me become a better wife, a better mom, a better leader, a better person overall, just from doing this one thing that took me a week to do. You're going to hear about it as well. Today's guest is Chandra Jarrett. Chandra is an executive coach. She is a consultant. She has a broad base of experience in leadership development, training, and business development. She also has a history in engineering in the automotive industry for 15 years experience in the nonprofit sector. There's a ton of things that she has done, but when you hear this woman and her story and just the way she's going to encourage us to make some changes in our lives, none of those other things that she's done is going to matter because you're going to realize what she's doing for you right now today. Let's dive in to today's episode with Chandra Jarrett. There's a process to falling in love and it starts with attraction. Join Kimberly Beam Holmes and her special guests as they discuss how to become the most attractive you can be, physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as we refer to it, working on your pies. We'll teach you how to have better relationships and become more attractive to others, and maybe more importantly, to yourself. It starts with attraction, and it starts now. Chandra, I am so excited for you to be on the podcast today, as I know you know, but just so my listeners know, I heard you speak a couple of weeks ago and moved the room, girl, like you brought it. It was incredible. And I thought, man, what she just talked about, I know my audience is going to love. So thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted. Yeah. You talk about this topic of knowing yourself to lead yourself. And what I really want you to speak of, especially because there's going to be some of my listeners who say, well, I'm not a leader. What do you mean lead yourself? So can you start by helping us understand, like, what does it mean to lead yourself? And do you have to be a leader in order for that to make sense for you? That's a great question. And it's a question that comes up a lot. For me, a leader is a person of influence. And we all have spheres of influence, Right. I influence my granddaughters. I influence my children, my son. I have one, a son. I influence the people in the building where I work, right? So whether we have a title behind our name or letters behind our name, we are all people of influence. And whether we realize it or not, people are watching us. They may never say anything to us, but they are watching what we say, what we don't say, what we do. So when I speak about leadership, I'm speaking about how we each 
are having this ripple effect in the world of influencing the people around us. Man, and isn't that so true that when we don't realize that we have influence, maybe the times that we do the most damage because people are watching us and reacting to us and we don't even think we have that much of an impact or that much of a difference. Have you seen that? I know. I Look, Kimberly, I know I have because, you know, when I think about knowing yourself to lead yourself, there were decades of my life that I was stoic. Mm. I was angry. I, I'm an introvert naturally. Um, but I just had this resting face and people could interpret it. Uh, that I, I'm just going to say the resting face, right? <laughs> I know the face. And I didn't realize it was impacting people. Like my family, if I had a certain face, they would walk around on, on eggshells. Yeah. I didn't realize I was influencing them in that way. And so I think the more aware we are of that about ourselves, right? If I'm aware of how my body language could be impacting people, then I've got to lead myself differently so mm-hmm. that I influence the people around me differently. Yeah, that's so important. What does it mean to lead yourself, Chandra? <laughs> it starts with, oh my goodness, this has been a lifelong journey. I just turned 59 last week. Mm. And you do I, not look it, by the way. I just have to say, I'm like, I don't look as great as you do at 59. Thank you. Hey, I'm telling people 60 is the new 40. That's okay. It. That's it. Yes, that's what it is. But I think when you think about leading yourself, for me, especially as a believer, it is what is my standard for how I live, mm. right? I have got to not just be in the world doing my own thing, but in every decision I make, in every thought I think, um, in every conversation I have, am I taking the time to pause to say, am I representing Christ well as a believer? Mm. Is this my values when I'm walking out my life? What does that look like for me? Um, so that I am leading me well, right? If I start with me, I can't blame other people all the time. It's really my own standard for making sure I'm doing what I need to do mm. in this world and in my space. Mm. And I think we all get that choice to mm. decide, am I just going to live in the world, live my life, or am I going to be intentional? To say, okay, I just had a bad attitude. Am I going to correct that? Am I going to justify that? Right? What is what is it that people are experiencing on the other side of me that makes me want to do something different or be better at who I am? Mm, I love that question and putting putting yourself in the shoes of the person across the table from you, and the way you word it is so poignant as well. Uh, can you repeat the way that you think about that? Because that's the question, right? What are people experiencing on the other side of me? That's, that's, and, and, and first, that's the hard question because many times we don't want to know that if mm. we're honest. Because it, I may think I'm a better leader than I am, I may think I'm a better person than I am. Mm. But if I'm willing to ask, 
hey, what is what are you experiencing on the other side of me? And then am I willing to change that? Um, in my third marriage, third marriage, we haven't talked about marriage, have we, Kimberly? But I'm going to bring it up. Bring in it up. my third marriage, that was what my ex-husband said all the time was, well, this is just the way I am and this is the way I'll always be. Mm-hmm. All through three years of counseling. This is just the way I am. This is the way I'll always be. That there was no room for change. There was no room for adjustment. So when I think of leading myself, right, he had made a decision that his leading of himself was, here's what the line is, and it's not moving. For me, I'm not, I'm a, I am a people pleaser, but I don't live my life to please people, mm-hmm. right? I'm at a place in my life where I really want to be better. So I'm willing to make some adjustments so that, again, my values and my standard for where I'm trying to be is where I adjust in leading me. Yeah. How did you get to the point in your life, Chandra, where you were willing to not just ask the question, what are people experiencing on the other side of me, but got to the point where you were willing to do something different about it. I know at the, at the luncheon I heard you speak at, you talked about how the name of your consulting group or coaching group is joy. And you said, it's so opposite of how I was for so long. And then you gave this beautiful story. Can you, can you share more about you and how you got to where you are because of the experiences and your willingness to confront that question? A lot of brokenness, a lot of pain, Um, When you ask, how did I get to the place where I wanted to change? I was tired. Hmm. I was tired of the life I was living. I was tired of the me I was living. Like I was, so my story, I raised by mom, five kids. My parents separated when I was eight. Um, My dad has always been in my life. He passed away this year. Hmm. Um, And, but I was the child that came out. Uh, with a lot of questions, looking for love in all the wrong places. And so, as I said, my third marriage, I've been married three times. I've been sexually abused by a pastor. My first husband had one affair. My second husband had three affairs. And I just became this young, angry woman. I was 20 when I had my son. Uh, I followed his birth with two abortions, just very broken, very angry, Um had a lot of questions for God, had a lot of questions for my parents, had a lot of questions for me. And so for twenty over 20 years, I was spinning out of control mm. um, sexually. I, I'm 59. I've never drank or smoked. My dad was an alcoholic. And so, again, I was the child that said, I'll never do that. But I had my own stuff. Mm. And people could help me identify my sin, but they didn't know how to get me free. And in the midst of it, you know, I've had my share of affairs and I'm not proud of that, but that's part of my story. Mm -hmm. I became I began to cause the same pain in people's lives that I had experienced and didn't know how to get free. And in 2006, um, I really was praying for the Lord to just take me out like I was just tired And uh, the Lord spoke to me and three consecutive dreams, same dream, go to the grave of the man that sexually abused you and forgive him. Do not condemn him. Do not judge him. 
um, and you will not take to your grave the demons he took to his. Someone showed me where the man's grave was and I went screaming and crying. I did not condemn him. But I did have a few things to say. Just saying, I had a few things to say. Yeah. But I went and that was the fall of 2006, um, November, December time frame, March of 2007. During my quiet time, I just began to hear Virginia Beach, Virginia Beach, Virginia Beach. I'd never been. My son was finishing undergrad. And um, long story short, he finished, graduated. We had his party. And the next day I'd already started packing packed up and moved to Virginia Beach site unseen. And there the Lord met me and began my healing journey. Hmm. And it was there really that um, my life went from angry to joy. Hmm. Over five years of therapy, uh, healing classes, Bible studies, just really working through my pain. I found joy again. Mm. And um, I think, again, we all have to come to whatever our own end of the road is or come to our own impasse in the road or just making a decision that I want my life to look different. I want to live different. And for me, I want to leave a different legacy for my family. I want my son to have something different. I want my granddaughters to have something different. And that means I've got to do the work on me if I'm going to help them to really see and experience life differently. And so that was the change for me. I was all in. I was at the end of the road and I just said, Lord, you can either take me out or deliver me like I need something different. Mm-hmm. And he uprooted me. And that's what he did. That's so powerful, Chandra. Yeah. How how did you forgive? How did you work through that process and break free? Honestly, Kimberly, I can't say that I will tell you I'm still working through it. And here's why I say that. If you had asked me that five years ago, I would have said I obeyed. It took some years. Like I told you, five years of just different class after different class after different class. Mm -hmm. But here's when I recognize that it's ongoing. In 2020, the Lord woke me up to bring me back to Nashville to care for my mom. Mm -hmm. And I cried for a month and I couldn't figure out why. But then when I got here, I realized it was the pain. Mm -hmm. It was the residue of my past Mm -hmm. that I realized I'm still on the journey. And even though that man is long gone, I have a, a actually a good relationship with my dad's father. He's been married to his wife now almost 20 years. Um, it still hurts, but I just choose to forgive mm. for my own freedom, for my own peace of mind. Yeah. But I think the other part of that for me as a mom of a now soon to be 39 year old caring for my 83 year old mom, one of my, one of the things my therapist has said to me because my little girl showed up when I began to care for my mom was um, you can either choose to live in your past with your mom and miss how she's evolved. Mm. She's not the same mom you had when you were 12 and 15 and 20. She's your mom today who now asks you what you want for dinner, which was a trigger for me three years ago. 
who says I love you and be safe, which was a trigger because I never heard that in my life. Mm. But then when I flip it to my son, right, I want him to see me evolving. Mm. So when I think again about my own faith, if I'm going to receive forgiveness, I've got to be willing to forgive. It's Mm. conditional. And so I'm learning in this space and it's not always pretty and I don't always get it right to give my mom the grace. Right. Not just because I want it from my son. That is part of it, but because it really is the right thing to do. And I want to be able to love her well Mm. for the days that I have. Yeah, that's that's really what I want. I want to love her well. And it's hard. But every day I get up and that's my prayer. I want to love her well for the days I have. Mm. And I want my son to love me well, knowing all the things I did not do well. Mm. So powerful, Chandra. Mm -hmm. It's so powerful. Um, I want to I want to ask about forgiveness in a different uh, in a different situation. You you spoke of and I I want you to tell the story. but you spoke about a time when you were younger and in maybe, I think maybe it was your first job and something that one of the uh, maybe executives or a leader that you had at that job said to you about where he thought you should be working. Uh, Can you, can you speak to that story a bit? And then I want to ask you a question about forgiveness after. Okay. So when I was an engineer, one of my early jobs was working in a production plant making plastic tube packages. They made toothpaste tubes. And um, one of the senior linesmen came up to me and he said I would make a good maid. That Mm. was his thing to me. I was in my early 20s and I knew enough. I always say I knew enough to know, you know, how to respond to say, if you want to keep your job, um, I wouldn't say that to me again, but it it jarred me, right? Um, At that age to hear it, to be compared to something like that. Um, As a black woman, here's this white man telling me I would make a good maid. How do you process that, right? What does that look like? Not just that, as an engineer, like you incredible yes exactly right all of those things put together my gosh yeah yeah Mm. yeah and and, I mean especially because of of your race and gender like I can only imagine I can't imagine I can only imagine how difficult it's been over the years for you and so when I in thinking about forgiveness like what about instances like that? Like, because that man's comments have probably lived in your head for years. Yeah. And others, right? Like other ways that other people have treated you and said, said things to you. And so how have you forgiven situations like that where, you know, it's not the sexual abuse, but it's the, like, it's the comments, it's the slights that begin to get you to try and like doubt yourself how have you not stayed stuck there and letting those people's opinions of you and thoughts of you just keep you shackled to something that you weren't meant to be? Yeah, that's a, that's a hard one because I think there are times in our life where they do get us stuck. Mm. 
And then there are times that I just have to make the decision to move on. Mm-hmm. I can't even say Kimberly's forgiveness. It's, it's I just have decided that I'm not going to allow you to define me. It's, it's hurt. It's hurtful. Uh, you may never change, but I can't allow that to paralyze me. And it requires a lot of self-talk, mm-hmm. um, a lot of being in spaces where I have people that may look like that man, right? I have friends who are white that I know love me, that I have to find peace in that and not wipe out a whole race because of a man. And Mm -hmm. I think that happens many times in our society where people experience so much negativity, whether it be racial, whether it be passed over for promotion, right? Mm -hmm. That we can wipe out a whole group of people based on our experiences. And I just don't want to do that. My daughter-in-law's white, my brother-in-law's white, right? Like I've had bad experiences with men and with women. So Mm -hmm. I don't want to take one experience and allow that to define everyone and everything that may look like that or feel like that. Yeah. So some years ago, when I recognized that I had issues with spiritual authority because my husbands were believers and because of being sexually abused by one pastor and blackballed by another, I didn't trust people in spiritual leadership, but specifically men. And I remember doing my quiet time, just really wrestling with it. And I came up with a phrase. I'm not going to say it was the Lord. It may have been, but I'm not one of those people that's going to say everything the Lord. But it's this is not that and they are not them. And and, and at the time I was studying the hippocampus, right? Because the hippocampus stores memories, right? It stores those painful experiences, but it cannot put a face with that name. What it remembers is the experience, the feeling, the pain, right? Right. So if I feel something that feels like an experience or somebody says something that sounds like an experience, I was just, I'm not dealing with them, right? Yeah. This is not that. And they are not them. And I had to do that because I was missing out on the present relationships by penalizing them based on my past relationships. And I didn't want to do that. I love that saying so much. And it's so easy to remember for, for everyone of like bringing back to present reality. Yes. This is not that they are not them. them. They are not them. Mm. They are not mm. them. Mm. Chandra, how has your, your faith, your, your walk with God, like, have you always been a Christian or did sometime throughout this process, God become more real and relevant to you? I started journaling when I was around eight um, because when my parents separated, I was, I don't know, I guess the black sheep I consider of the family. I wasn't close with my siblings, even though we're stair step. It was just, it was just this awkward space. Um, But I've left the church. I tell people I've left the church. I haven't left God. I've always journaled. I've always read. Um, 
For me, going through pain is how I have gone deeper with the Lord because I needed answers and I would search his word. Like for me, I'm just, I need to find this in this word. So I can probably talk to people about Dinah because of my sexual stuff and Tamar about my, again, these are women who experience things like me. Uh, Bathsheba, right? Like I remember doing a domestic violence piece and I titled it Help the Pastor's Son Rape Me. Because when I look at King David in his position of authority, those are the stories that really helped me to get perspective, but also see where was God in this? Did God approve this? Did he not approve this? Yeah. Um, and that's what really has helped me. But I think the foundation of knowing who he was as a little girl and believing him as a little girl, that he loved me, that he cared for me, that he wanted the best for me, is what has carried me. Mm -hmm. Even through the abuse Mm -hmm. and the pain. To know that, and, 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 and as much as I regret those 20 years of spinning, they helped me see that we're human. And that we all sin, right? So I can't judge the pastor that abused me any more than God would judge me because I was spinning and I was damaging homes and people's lives. And so I always tell people there's two sides. There's the sin inflicted upon us and there's our response to it. That's our part, right? Know yourself to lead yourself. We don't talk about that part often, but we always respond to our pain. Always. There's always a response to our pain. There's always a response to our mistreatment. There's always a response to being talked about. That's me knowing myself. I've got to be able to sit in that and I've got to own my part in that. If I am going to be healthy, if I'm going to be a good leader, I've got to say, yes, he was wrong, but I was wrong. And here's my part. I can't repent for his part, but I can't repent for my part. And I've got to present myself blameless before the Lord. Otherwise, I'm just going to live as a victim. And that's not going to get me anywhere other than depressed because I've been there. I've done that. So I think for me, my faith is what has anchored me. It's what's kept me in my right mind. Mm. It's kept me. When I read the scripture that says the the man that had the demons was clothed and in his right mind, I used to think that was just some old people in the church with a saying. (laughs) I really, like, what? No, I was in my bedroom for three months and didn't come out Mm. in a suicidal state. My son was 13 years old. Can you imagine being 13 and your mom is in the same place for three months? You go to school. You come home, you go to school, you come home. People left food at my door. People left money at my door. That's why he wanted to live with his dad. He couldn't, what what do you do with that? When you go from seeing your mom as an engineer to now functioning like this, only the Lord kept me. Mm. Only the Lord kept me. Mm. So my faith is everything. And I tell people I'm not a, a, a Bible thumper. But I'm a Bible believer and I'm going to walk it out. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Everything, everything, Chandra, is so powerful. Um, In this in this knowing yourself to lead yourself, you give some practical ways that people can begin to see how these how these things tie together. 
And so there's, there's four terms that you use and kind of how one affects the other. Can you, can you explain this framework and, and talk through some ways that people can begin to look inward and know themselves in order to change some of their actions? So four, starting with our tendencies that lead to actions. Our actions lead to consequences. The consequences create our reality. Um, our tendencies, I think, are the are the the foundation, right? Our tendencies are how we're just wired. They may never change, but I can change my actions if I know my tendencies, right? If I know myself, so. Two of my tendencies, I'll just use two simple ones, are I'm an introvert. I mentioned that. But I'm also a perfectionist, right? Mm-hmm. I can read a million books. You can listen to, I can listen to podcasts. There, it's not going to change. I'm going to be an introvert. When the dust settles, I'm going to be a perfectionist. When it all settles, right, like I'm still going to want my best. But what I can change is my actions. What are my patterns that are leading to action? So when I showed up for this call, you don't hear the introvert. People are always like, you didn't hear the introvert at that luncheon. They're like, she's not an introvert. But I blocked out an hour before this call. I've been Mm -hmm. in meetings since nine o'clock this morning, but I needed to recharge Mm -hmm. so that when I showed up, I can show up charged and ready to go. Right. That's my action because I wanted a positive consequence. I want this to be a phenomenal podcast. Right. You're a phenomenal person. Right. To create a reality so that people get to experience. My story. Yeah. You helping them to be better at themselves. Right. Doesn't change that I'm an introvert. It's just my actions created a consequence, which led to a reality that when we get off of here, I feel like we've succeeded. Right. And and that's with all of us. Right. We like it wiring. Right. I'm this way. But am I willing to create an action to lead to a positive consequence to create a reality? And sometimes we may have to start with the reality where we we don't like it. Like I remember being passed over for a promotion or not getting in reports on time. Like that was the reality. The consequence was my boss questioned my ability. Mm. Is Shonda really competent at her work? So what I had to change was my action, right? To get back to this tendency, my perfectionism caused me to hold on to projects too long because I was just overthinking them and over-processing them. And it caused people to look at me in a way that wasn't truly who I am. It was my own self that had me stuck. So when we think about know yourself to lead yourself, being able to recognize what are my tendencies and just sitting down and just listing what are my tendencies? I can talk about everything from an awkward laugh to that stoic face I talked about. Like I remember working for a church and the pastor would say, so who am I going to get today? Is it going to be Chandra or is it going to be Miss Jared? Like which one am I getting? Right. And I had to decide. What am I going to change in my actions to create a positive consequence, to create a reality I want? Mm. And that's what we all get to do. Yeah. Yeah. If someone is stuck on, on that and they're like, oh, that makes so much sense, but I'm stuck. Like, how do I know what my tendencies are? Some of them are normal, right? We know, kind of know for introvert, extrovert, perfectionist, people pleaser, different things like that. Um, 
But would you encourage people to start with assessing their current reality and what is frustrating them and like trying to work backwards from there? How does, how would you recommend that? I think that's one good way. And then another good way is, and I know this takes a lot of courage, but I remember asking 25 friends, if you could describe me, wow, how would you describe me? You see, again, what are people experiencing on the other side of me? That's a great 25. (laughs) And and I choose 25, Kimberly, because, you know, everybody's not going to respond. Yes. But if I can get 15 to 20 of them to respond and see where there's patterns in their responses or themes in their responses, it's going to give me some insight about me. Hmm. And that to me is a good starting place, whether it falls under my reality or my tendency. And then I can work my way back around and say, okay, well, she's a great listener. Okay. That's, that's good. Okay. How does that play out in the workspace? If all I'm doing is taking notes and listening, right? Hmm. Follow me. And again, the assumption is, can she lead though? Hmm. She's a great note taker. She's a great listener. Everybody comes to her office, but can she execute? Yeah. You follow me? All of that information becomes insight to knowing yourself so you can lead yourself based on where you want to go, what you want to achieve and what that looks like for you. Yeah, that way is much better. I like your answer. So (laughs) I like like that one. Ask people, because that's the thing. Um, And it's not even like asking them to like, give me the three worst things about me. It's just like, what are the three things that kind of come to mind when you think of me and looking and then trying to see an opposite perspective of like, it's a great thing to be a listener in a lot of cases, but how could that possibly be thwarting some of my desires and other areas of my life? Oh, that's fascinating. Like I, I just had a total brain bomb when you, (laughs) when you said that, um, yeah, I love that. I and I I now wonder because I had a friend a couple of years ago who maybe you know because they they did this. They like sent out an email to a bunch of people and basically said that same thing. Like, would you please wow. I'm doing this thing with a coach or mentor, would you please um list They may have because I've given that as an assignment. Yeah, and they yeah, and they live here in the area, so I'm like maybe it wasn't. Um, but we'll talk later. And um you know, I remember saying like humble, um, like servant heart, right. Things like that. Cause this person was definitely that, even though he's like, um, way up at a, at a, at a local company here. And he probably took some of that feedback and was like humble, like that's a great quality. And we don't want to stifle that quality in him. Not at but all. when it comes to working with business partners or things like that, like, is he being assertive enough? Maybe those were some of the questions he was asking himself. And for me, I, I want to do this now. I'm pretty sure a word that I'm going to get is um, drive, like a high amount of drive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the negative of that is uh, people don't always know I care about them. Mm-hmm. 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 I already know that. Yeah. Yeah. And again, and see, so here's what I love about that, right, Kimberly, because you can look at that like your drive. If you are a highly driven person, that's not going to change. You're just wired that way. Like God probably wired you that way. 
you probably you can probably look back your life and see that. Right. Yeah. But what's one action you can change so people know you care about them? Yeah, exactly. Yes, that's one. it. Just one thing, right? Just one. Right. Just, it can be just one thing, right? So I say to people mm-hmm. who I know that are highly driven that aren't as relational, they're relational, but that's just, they're just more driven than relational it is. Hey, when you're talking to your team, ask them how their weekend is. Get to know their spouse's name, their children's name, right? How was your weekend? How'd Joe do at his baseball game? How was Milan at her soccer game this weekend, Right. That's such a huge deposit. That's one action that's going to create a consequence. It's going to say, oh, she remembered my child's name. Oh, she remembered my anniversary. Right. Which creates a reality now that they're going to be more engaged because they feel like you care. When you took three minutes to ask how they're doing and you really meant it. But one action, like I tell people, you're not trying to change everything. Choose one action. Don't change your drive. You're driven. Don't change that. You're wired that way. Just choose one thing to create a different reality. That's it. And and the more you do that one thing, the more naturally it becomes. Oh, this is perfect. Okay. So it, I love, (laughs) I love clear takeaways and easy things to do from the conversation. And so for me, one of the things I'm going to do and encourage listeners to do is Pick a number of people, 25 is Chandra's recommendation, <laughs> 25 people, and ask them, what are three words that describe me? Get some of those answers. And it's not to look at those and say like, oh, this is the way I'm failing. A lot of these things are going to be the way you're gifted. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like these are good things about you. Um, but then just think about how are some of these actions like leading to some negative consequences in my life because I'm not seeing the opposite side of it. And then what's one thing, just one, one thing that I can do to change some of those negative consequences into positive consequences. And, oh, I love this, Chandra. It's so- You got it, Kimberly, you got it. Oh, this is fantastic. (laughs) So good. Chandra, you are- a wealth of a lot of things like knowledge, discernment, um, amazing stories, like inspirational for sure. Uh, that'd be one of my words for you, Chandra. Inspirational. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I, I really thank you and appreciate you taking the time to be with us today for our listeners who may want to connect further with you. Can you tell us more about where they can find you? Um, anything on your website? Do you have a book? Like you should have a book. I have a couple of books, but they're specific to my story, but I'm finalizing a devotional right now called rewrite your story for God's glory, hope and healing when life hurts. That's awesome. um, so just be on the lookout for that. It'll be available on my website. The easiest, my website, chandrajarrett.com. I'm on social media. You can find Joy Consulting Group or you can find me on Instagram. But my website is probably the easiest place. But yeah, I I have my cancer story. I have my abortion story published. Um, We didn't even get into the cancer story. (laughs) I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer eight years ago. I can't believe it. Can't really, yeah. I think now you're mentioning that, but with all of the other things, (laughs) I know it's so much. It's so much. That's amazing. I mean, congratulations. Praise God. Praise God that you're here. Eight years. Eight years. Eight years survivor. 
Mm, Again, inspirational. Here we go. Yes. Yes. So they can find me. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Kimberly, for having me. Thank you for just the honor and the opportunity to share my story of life and leadership, love, right? Learning, still growing. Yeah. And, And that to me is the ongoing work for all of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. We'll link to all of those in the show notes so that our listeners can find you super easy. Uh, Chandra, thank you so much. Like we're going to continue this conversation at some point in the future because you're just so fantastic. Thank Thank you, you, Kimberly. Y'all, here are my key takeaways from today's episode. And honestly, I've done over 100, probably close to 150. I think we're soon rounding 200 of these episodes of It Starts With Attraction. And this episode is for sure in my top 10%, like maybe even in my top three of episodes I have ever done because Chandra's advice and wisdom was inspiring, impactful. And for me, it made me move. It made me do some things I needed to do to get out of some ruts. Here are the key takeaways I had from today's episode that I want to reiterate with you. The number one thing is the question that she asked, what are people experiencing on the other side of me? One of the things that I teach and talk about is how it's important to evoke positive emotions within other people. But I love the reframing of picture if you were across the table from you. How are other people experiencing that? We may not always look at it that way and kind of take that out-of-body experience and think of what is it like to sit across the table from me, but how powerful is that? Ask yourself that question this week and really wrestle with it, with the good parts of it and with the things that maybe you're doing or ways that you are presenting or coming across that you don't mean to be doing in that way, ways you don't want to come across that perhaps you are right now. I encourage you to wrestle with that question. The other key, just, I wrote this one down. She had so many great one-liners that inspired and evoked deep thought within me when she said, people could help me identify my sin, but they couldn't set me free. Man, how powerful is that? How many people in your life want to tell you all the things they think you're doing wrong or what you should be doing different, but none of their voices bring freedom. None of their voices are going to actually help be the chains that break you free from those just destructive thoughts, those captive thoughts that keep you stuck and keep you going in those same destructive cycles that you're in. The only thing that can set you free is truth. And for me, with my beliefs, I believe that the only thing that sets us free is Jesus. He is the one who has come in and y'all, I'm going to do a future podcast on this, but I've talked over the years on and off about trauma that I experienced in my past and, and difficulty in forgiving. And it's been a process for me. And a lot of times through the years, people, well-meaning people, even my husband at times would look at me and just say, you just need to move on. But them telling me those things didn't set me free. (laughs) pointing out my lack of unforgiveness or how I was still harboring resentment or anger. None of those things actually helped set me free. They brought to light the struggle, but I knew the struggle. I knew where I was stuck. It wasn't until I actually truly embraced forgiveness and honestly, like 
didn't even focus as much on forgiving the other person as asking God to change my heart. God, change my heart. Like when I think about this person, when I think about this situation, change my heart. And he has. I do feel freedom. Not to say that I don't still struggle with those feelings or those beliefs at times, but today I can tell you I'm living in so much more freedom than I was even a year ago, even six months ago, especially 20 years ago. What can set you free? What is it you need to be freed from? And what do you need to do to set you free? My third key takeaway is when we said, this is not that and they are not them. This is not that. The experiences that you've had in your life, likely you have had a set of similar experiences. We tend as humans to have themes of things that we struggle with. Something that that typically probably manifests itself as a child, things like fear of abandonment or insecurity or different things like that. Those things tend to manifest through traumatic experiences that we might have as a child. And because that is what we are scared of happening, we tend to notice those things more and more and more and more. And so a lot of times when you talk to people about their past and their history and their life, you'll notice that the things that have hurt them or bothered them or kept them stuck tend to be in a cycle. They tend to all have a similar theme to them. That's why I think this statement of this is not that and they are not them is such a helpful tool in helping us to break free from the narratives that we're telling ourselves about things that happened in the past that we're thinking are happening now because of our past experiences, but to remind ourselves, this is not that, and they are not them. Further allows freedom and healing. And my favorite takeaway from this entire episode is to email or contact 25 people and ask them, what are three words that come to mind when you think of me? Three words that describe me. I did this. I sent it to 25 people. I have heard back from half of them. The other half I am chasing down and asking them face-to-face if I haven't heard back yet and I get in touch with them. I'm like, just tell me, like, tell me these things. And y'all, it has been amazing to see and to hear. I actually added two other questions. I asked people, what are the three words that you think of when you think of me? What are two to three strengths that you believe that I have? And what are two to three areas that you feel like I could improve in my life? And it has been so amazing to see the feedback that people that I trust and respect have given me. And Honestly, I was scared to send it and not knowing what people were going to send back. But I've seen some things, uh, some really positive things of just ways that people perceive me. Driven is a very common answer, as I knew it would be. Ambitious, (laughs) risk taker. All of those are things that have come up multiple times. And while I love those words, I've intentionally taken the time to step back and say, but what does that mean to that person? When I come across as driven all of the time, is it because or do they experience the lack of relationship? And that was actually one of the feedbacks that one of my one of the people gave me. They said, you know, I would love to actually have a deeper relationship with you. You always seem to be on the go. Uh, I would love to spend more time to get to know you. And that and another another dear friend, they said, you're such an ambitious go getter. I want to make sure you're taking time for the people who matter most in your life. It was just such sweet feedback and I'm writing it all down and cherishing it. It's one of my favorite things that I've done maybe in like the past year 
And I would encourage you to do the same. Think of the people that you respect and you actually value their opinion, not just people that you're wanting to like you want them to say good things about you so that you'll feel better about yourself, but people that you actually believe would give you a thoughtful response and tell you truthful things uh, and, and go forward. Like even if it's just 10 people, even if it's just five people, even if you start with just one person, I think this is an incredibly healthy exercise to do. Just be prepared as I am and was like, I know some of the things I hear are going to be hard to hear. Like one person told me an area I needed to improve was empathy And I was like, oh my gosh, like, tell me more. I actually contacted that person and was like, please tell me more what you mean by that. I could have just like sulked in that and been really upset and and hurt that someone would think that about me and tell myself a bunch of negative things about myself because of it. But instead, I, I went over that hurdle, contacted the person and was like, tell me more. And they did. They explained it to me and we had a great conversation. And I'm so glad that they called that out in me because I want to be better and I want to grow and I want to be a better wife and a better mom and a better leader and a better woman. And I can't do that if I don't know my blind spots. This is a great way to help see your blind spots. As you can see, I've loved this episode. If you have loved this episode, please give a review of the podcast, share this episode with a friend, maybe several friends. I believe so many people will be inspired when they hear Chandra's story and the things that she encourages us to do throughout our time together. Until next week, stay strong.